everyone, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an amazing, amazing show for you guys today. Today on this episode, we talk all about the clubs and people and organizations who are down bad and up good. We have Barcelona being up good. We have Inter Miami and Liverpool being tremendously down bad. And we have Rangers up in Scotland being up tremendously good for the first time in 10 years. It's a great episode. Don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to us, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If it is Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. And as always, follow us at Final Third Show on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll be sure to follow you back, engage with you, whatever. We've been seeing great growth, and if you do those steps, we'll only grow faster, and you'll grow with us because you are part of the, the Final Third bandwagon it's like it's like stocks, you know, to the moon, all the way up. Uh, sell high, buy low. I don't know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another news and predictions episode of the Final Third. I'm at, I'm Jack Seprasad. I am a Chelsea fan, Atlanta fan. Minnesota United fan, and I love the French national team, and I'm joined by AJ. Yep, I'm AJ. I'm a fan of Minnesota United, uh, West Ham United, United States national teams. Almost forgot what teams I support. And yeah, we have have a great show for you guys today on the final third. As always, our format is we begin with the big stories. We talk about all of the news and happenings that are happening both on the pitch and off the pitch, we tell you not just what happened, but how it happened, why it happened, and what it means for the big picture with the respective team and league we talk about. Then we go into going Jack in time, which is Jack's segment where he brings up a a historical event in soccer history and explain why it's significant even today and back then as well. Then we go into the U.S. men's national team corner. We're talking about all about the things that are happening with the U.S. men's national team abroad and at home. Then we'll go into predictions, talk about the big games that happened last week and the big games that are going to happen this upcoming week. Jack, why don't you you plug our social medias for us before we get started? Yeah, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. We just hit... 50 followers on there this past week, which was pretty cool to see. And you can also follow us on Instagram. Again, the same same username, Final Third Show. Uh, Interact with us on there. Uh, And, you know, AJ puts out a ton of great content. I try and put out content that's of similar quality, usually fail. Uh, (laughs) But it's it's great. It's a great place to interact with us, get insights into what we're going to be talking about in the upcoming week. And, yeah, we'd love to see you follow on there. But yeah, we with that. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say I was just going to say, you know, I haven't been able to tweet a lot on Twitter recently because of I got midterms in college. But, you know, it, it's been great to see growth. It's great to see growth just on the podcast. You know, we we completely doubled our listenership this past month in February compared to January. So it's great to see. So jump on the bandwagon. Follow us literally everywhere on twitter on instagram and on here on spotify apple podcasts wherever you listen to that and yeah i mean jack was trying to lead us into the big story so let's get with that with our first big story 
uh, we got an update to something that I put into the episode uh, in the editing session. It's it's Barca Gate. It's Barcelona Gate with Bartomeu getting arrested, I suppose, for some shady business that he was doing with his time as president of Barcelona. So Camp New was searched last Monday in relation to a charge on Bartomeu paying an external social media firm, i3 Ventures, to release smear campaigns on players and staff that spoke out against him, players like Messi, PK. And it was also for money laundering, because who doesn't love their club used to legitimize illegally obtained money? I mean, maybe that explains why they spent so much money on players like Paulinho, you know, but... But the, the main thing was that he, he did a smear campaign in order to make his opposition looks, look bad, which is very, very bad. And now he's getting, he's getting justice for it. And if that wasn't bad enough, Jack, I don't know, this kind of flew under the radar for a lot of news outlets, but some of Barca's payments to i3 Ventures went on to fund the anti-Catalan independence movement. Interesting. Yeah, you know how yeah, you know how Barcelona is built upon Catalan independence and like it's literally their identity and pride. Yeah, well, Bartomeu inadvertently or perhaps advertently funded a movement to squash that. Like I don't know how he's alive. He can't be in Barcelona right now cuz if he is, he would be hunted down and killed. But now, Barcelona are going under new management. Juan Laporta has been elected president of FC Barcelona, winning 54% of the vote. He served as president from 2003 to 2010, where they won six trophies in one year, a record that has only been tired by FC Bayern Munich just recently. He brought in Pep and Ronaldinho, and he's Barcelona's fan favorite of recent presidents. Things might be looking up for Barcelona. They have a new president. They came back against Sevilla to make it to the Copa del Rey final, and now they're looking good in La Liga. Right now, I would say that they're the opposite of down bad. They're up good, which is it's kind of corny. But, you know, Jack, tell me what you think about FC Barcelona. Are they looking good or is this just rose tinted glasses coming back? Is this just going to be a temporary honeymoon phase? Well, they're looking good. I mean, they're within three points of right. the top spot in La Liga. They've capitalized on mistakes made by others and you know, it looks like they might actually have promise once again, which I know every time we say that, they seem to go back down. <laughs> yeah. But I, I honestly think that having the fans on your side helps a club a lot. We, mm-hmm. we, talk, we talk a lot about how when there's stuff happening in the back room, it's tough to get anything done because you don't have the support of fans. Even if there were fans in the stadium, you have a feeling that it wouldn't be always a positive response from them so uh you know i i think that this is a good step for them all right i will have to agree i i'm a closeted barcelona not fan i i'm i have a a soft spot for them so hopefully they do okay let's move on to you know some more legal news i suppose it's inter miami and inter milan coming to maybe a trademark settlement i actually haven't heard about this so i guess it flew under the radar for me Jack, why don't you explain it to us? Yeah, well, uh, in the past week, MLS submitted a filing to the U.S. Patent Office uh, that talked about how the parties of Inter Milan 
and inter Miami, or as we might need to call them now, redacted Miami, True. Uh, are going to be in, in some sort of settlement over the use of the word inter in their name. So in 2014, Inter Milan filed a trademark application with the U.S. Patent Office saying, saying that the term inter is synonymous with Milan, with Inter Milan. So right. in, a, in a soccer sense. Right, like exactly. In a, in soc- context. In a, in a okay. soccer context. And MLS applied to use the name Inter Miami CF in 2018 and, the, and also filed to oppose Inter Milan's trademark in 2019 mm-hmm. because... Uh, MLS is structured differently is their basic argument, and they filed the objection on behalf of Inter Miami. But it seems like while MLS wanted Inter Milan's application to be refused because the term Inter just merely means international, uh, they they also, uh, uh, this argument was just rejected twice, in fact, because MLS had no existing rights to the word. And the reason why that this is so important is that they're entering potential settlement, which means that basically Inter-Miami are likely giving up on trying to claim the word Inter for themselves because, one, trademark disputes are incredibly expensive. They, They cost a lot of money for basic definitional arguments. And two, the stakes are very, very high for this because not only does it affect what you can name your uh, your club, but it affects what everyone can name organizations or clubs or sports teams, what, right. whatever you, you want to to name. So it's likely going to be settled. MLS is, call, is, uh, is calling for any more action to be stopped because they want uh, the settlement to be reached. And especially since Inter-Miami had such an expensive rollout, they want them to reach that settlement so they can continue along their own ways and maybe we won't need to call Inter Miami redacted Miami. We'll, maybe they'll be able to stick with it in some limited sense. We will see, though. Uh, AJ, what do you think about this? Yeah, Miami. I, I I kind of mentioned this on Twitter. They have been a kind of a complete mess, both on and off the field. Uh, barely made the playoffs. weren't really that exciting. Their kits weren't very very exciting and there, there's also i'm actually gonna look on our twitter profile there's another big thing that yeah. happened with miami with do you blaze matweedy actually yeah um, mls yeah. is looking into seeing if the process to pay uh blaze matweedy's contract from he moved from juventus to inter miami was a violation of mls salary rules so yeah. seems like the the club could be crumbling apart in multiple areas yeah like like we have that i, I can't believe we haven't even mentioned that but yeah, them somehow getting getting around the rules and getting caught. First of all, like it's cool that you're trying to to get Matweedy, but to try to like work around that and him, you know, even though you you spent all that time trying to come up with a workaround to get him back into Miami, like he is not playing that well. A lot of people in Miami aren't playing that well. Their kits are boring. Their stadiums is not in Miami. It's in Fort Lauderdale. Their branding has been good, but it's they haven't been like in capturing the Mi- Miami community. It's been it's been a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs for Miami. So with with the 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 trademark rules and with Matweedy and that deal possibly getting under a lot of scrutiny, that's that is a lot a lot of baggage against Miami. I would say that they are down bad as well. 
as uh, this other person I'm about to talk to about, which is uh, Paul Ariola. Let's move on to the third story. Kind of been a story that's been a non-story on and off for the past couple days, but Paul Ariola is a DC United winger who is currently on loan for to the English Championship side of Swansea City. He's also a prominent member of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, he's uh, getting up there in age, but he's been a pretty positive player. I mentioned that to say that Paul Ariola on Saturday came out and made a statement regarding some old tweets that resurfaced from 2012, where he was 17 at the time. And yes, when I, when, you know, whenever someone says regarding some old tweets, that usually means some bad stuff is happening. And yes, you know, he said some pretty terrible things. He said the N-word. He said sexist and other racist things. A lot of stereotypes. And he has apologized for it. Released a statement. And Swansea and the U.S. Soccer released a statement about it. Uh, but what was interesting about it and what I will mention is that he made the statement before the public outlash. Like, a couple... People were like, whoa, what's this all about when they when they found it? And instead of trying to bury it, he put a spotlight on it. Like he purposely put a spotlight on it. He put attention to it and said, uh, just to quote him, uh, I'm ashamed and apologize for the choice of offensive and discriminatory words I used in the tweets as they were not acceptable then or now. Uh, I can assure you that I've grown and learned since then. And, you know, he, he talks about even though it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, he still wants to to bring it up and you know I, I think it's kind of interesting that uh it, it's really easy to say that all of this apology is performative that he's he's saying all these things to cover himself up but you know the apology was was worded pretty nicely but what really really like interests me is that since then he's actually made real steps towards ending racism in america his parent club is dc united and when the George Floyd protests happened and the, with the following months after that, he was literally on the streets in D.C. standing in solidarity with his black teammates and working with D.C. United to foster a better environment. And that's objectively good. And he's spoken with his actions more than his words, and that is commendable. And I, I do not speak for, you know, the, the people that he personally offended. I don't speak for literally anyone else except for myself. But... I do think he needs to apologize. I think he needs to continue to speak with his actions. But when you have somebody who is 10 years removed from those statements, a fully grown adult, and someone who has, you know, un unprompted, has stood with and in support of people of color, that in some sense is something that we can see as a positive and something that we can, we can maybe even look past this, perhaps. Um, and I'm not saying that he was just a kid what is a valid excuse as many people on social media are saying but it's more on his actions demonstrating that he has in his heart of hearts changed as a human being you know th there's still a lot of work for him going forward with u.s soccer and swansea city but that's just where i stand in that jack do you have any outright opinions on that are you gonna are you gonna cancel me right now no, i i think i think that paul Ariola did the right thing for sure um I also saw in the statement that once he goes back to DC United, when his loan is done, uh, he said he will undergo uh, conscious and unconscious racial bias training, which uh, honestly I think is something that we should have almost every player going through anyway, because yeah, it's sure. just a, a, a good idea 
And then uh, I I do like how he preempted this kind of thing because he instead of trying to hide away and say and deflect, he, he sure. stood up and said, "I know what I did was wrong. I'm not going to fight any punishment that people want to levy on me. I am going I'm going to apologize though because what I did was wrong." And also, I I I think he has spoken quite well with his actions, and I hope he continues to do so. With that, let's go on to more of a, a lighthearted story for at least non-Liverpool fans. Liverpool are terrible, Jack. I know you. I know you just want to dig into them, so go uh, ahead. Yeah, of course I do, because uh, you know Liverpool. They weren't able to beat. Uh, I believe it was Chelsea's record of longest unbeaten games at home. You know, uh, I think it was seventy mm-hmm. games. And uh, Liverpool, they figured they couldn't beat it, so they might as well break the record for most home losses in a row. Uh, Let's go. And, and they have the worst home record in their history. They have lost six now in a row at home. It was going. It was yeah. five, but this morning. Uh, Relegation candidates Fulham beat them one to zero again. Uh, so they've lost one to zero at Anfield for the fourth time in six attempts. Uh, they've also lost four one to Man City, and uh, they lost, I believe it was two zero to Everton. They have scored zero goals from open play at Anfield wow. in twenty twenty one, and they also have, I believe, zero wins at Anfield. In 2021. So they're not exactly doing all of that great. And in fact, in the form table, they are 15th. They are almost in relegation form. They have gotten nine points out of their last eight games. And they have scored uh, 10 goals and conceded 13 in that same period of time. They are not doing great. And they're only ahead of Burnley and Newcastle in form on goal difference where they're both at negative four and they're at negative three. So (laughs) Liverpool are very close to relegation form. Luckily, they built up some points earlier in the season, so they're not in danger of going down. But uh, some other things that are very telling about this is 538, a website that I really enjoy uh, for politics and for, uh, you know, soccer statistics. Liverpool now have a lower chance of making it into the Champions League than West Ham which AJ is thrilled about. Uh, So West Ham has a 25% chance of making it in, and Liverpool has a 22% chance. I mean, I know that AJ would take that 25% chance. I will take that 25%. (laughs) Liverpool are not going to be happy with this, given that two years ago they were lifting the Champions League trophy. And, you know, it. I you do kind of have to feel bad for them because a lot of it comes down to injuries. It's not stuff that they can control. But at the same time, it's just really funny because all this time, their Liverpool fans were like, uh, we just won won the league with like uh, barely losing, and now we're going to repeat that so many times. And then it just all fell apart. Uh, yep. Their team really relies on Virgil van Dijk. It, it's, For sure. like, it, it's so clear that they rely on that. And without him, their team just doesn't look the same. Uh and I'm sure I, I saw this on social media after the game today. Klopp got kind of dragged on social media because mm-hmm. his starting lineup was questionable, to say the least. Benching Trent Alexander-Arnold, Sadio Mane, uh, benching Fabinho, I, I believe, was uh, benched as well. 
Like so many of, of the players that would that should be in the starting eleven were just benched. Uh and I I honestly don't think this season is going to be great for Liverpool. I think while last nope. while last season is going to be remembered by Liverpool fans forever, this one will be quietly shelved away in the back of their minds. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to agree with that. I don't think Liverpool fans are going to want to relive the season, considering that the last time that they lost six home games in a season, they got relegated. It was the last time they Ooh. got relegated, and... That is some bad company to be with. Really, like, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Liverpool and their struggles a lot, and a lot of it circulated around their injuries, losing Van Dyke, losing some other key players, a lot of fatigue around the squad. But at some point, and I think we've reached that point, you have to realize that even though you have a lot of injuries, it doesn't actually excuse the individual errors that people are making. Mohamed Salah has made unforced errors so many so many times Trent Alexander-Arnold despite being a world-class player has kind of fallen to the wayside in terms of his output and in terms of his play and you know we we have obviously like the midfield I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention he who must not be named who let's be honest has been severely underwhelming for them but they are good players yet they're underperforming and it doesn't matter that there's injuries. They're underperforming just with their passes, with their play. Like, it, they should be still playing at a higher level, even without Virgil van Dijk, even uh, without some of the key players they were out with Jota for a long time. They should still be a top four, top five club, and yet they aren't reaching those same heights. So Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, just... Fix it or don't because I actually really want West Ham to reach the Champions League. So fix it next season. Next season. And let's move on to the final story. A little bit of a quicker one. Conmebol have canceled their World Cup qualifiers in March due to COVID. This has gone completely under the radar, but this is a story that's going to have big implications for everyone in the soccer world. So South America, as it is, is tricky for World Cup qualifying due to travel. A lot of their their team is based in Europe, so they have to fly over. That already sucks. But many Euro clubs have refused and have been allowed to not release their players due to COVID concerns, which is valid. You know, having traveled to South America amidst COVID, where different laws and different uh, quarantine rules apply, it's it's very very hard. And this is going to actually have huge implications for South American qualifiers and for European clubs. A lot of matches are going to get condensed. They'll probably have to do three games per window for some of the windows. And that's a huge, huge injury risk for a continent that requires a lot out of traveling players. I think one of the games that got canceled or suspended, I suppose, is Argentina versus Brazil. You know, huge match has huge implications. So with the outcome that I'm seeing out of this situation is the the national teams that have deep squads are going to fare a lot better because they'll have the players to survive congested windows. You know, you know, teams obviously like Argentina, uh, Brazil, Uruguay, and then the teams that might be dark horses getting in that could have gone in if they had more rest that because they don't have a really deep squad. 
you know, teams like Venezuela, Colombia, maybe Paraguay, Chile, like they're going to feel the brunt of the force because with this congested schedule, it's just going to get harder for them. This also has big implications for European clubs and a lot more, I suppose, near future implications. It's going to be huge for clubs that have a lot of South Americans because now that they're not getting released, they're going to have more rest. You know, we have Messi in Barcelona, Atletico won't lose Lodi, Jimenez and Suarez, Everton, Chelsea, City, Liverpool that have South American players, they'll get some rest. And with more rest, it means better play on the field, which is especially important given this congested COVID schedule. Jack, what do you think about Konmebol not having the World Cup qualifiers in March? Well, it makes me worried because my favorite Konmebol uh, team is Colombia. And I am worried because they don't have the best depth in in the region. And I really want to see them do well because whenever they go to the World Cup, they usually take it by, well, not take it by storm, but they do very well. Uh, remembering 2014, James Rodriguez taking oh, over yeah. by storm. Uh, and, you know, even, even in 2018, they produced some exciting moments. So I... I really hope like it, it doesn't hurt them too badly, and I'm hoping that they'll be able to uh, find a solution that works out for all of these clubs. So it doesn't mean that you know Argentina and Brazil just get auto qualified, even though they're basically already guaranteed that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I was actually gonna pause and be like, "Yo, I thought uh, I thought your favorite Conmebol team was Guyana." Then I remember that no, they, they're they in are, CONCACAF. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God for that because. I can't imagine they'd fare pretty well oh, with, no. uh, against the likes of Argentina and Brazil. They, they don't fare well in CONCACAF, so I don't think they'd fare very well in CONMEBOL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Guyana came came into town when they played uh, U.S. Men's National Team, it, yeah. didn't, uh, it I, didn't turn I out was too there. well. I was there. I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, with that, let's move on to our real quick session where we're going to go really, really quick. We got City getting their 28-game unbeaten run ended by their Manchester rivals. That's 20, I believe, 21 games that they won in a row. And we'll speak more on this later in the prediction section, but wow, what a run. They are the most likely, in my mind, to win the treble this season. A quadruple, even, if they win the FA Cup, League Cup, Premier League, and Champions League. A lot to come out of them. We also had Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, winning the Scottish Premiership with zero losses so far. Season's not over yet. Stopping Celtic from winning 10 in a row. A absolutely insane. I have some of their stats here. Uh, goal scored, 77. Ranked first in the league. Shot conversion rate, 15%. First in the league. Goals conceded, 9. First. Clean sheets, 24. First. Shots on target faced, 59. First. They still were able to keep it out. And errors leading to goal, 0. Wow. First place in the league as well. Steven Gerrard has been doing a great job with that team. They've won now their 55th title in their history, even though some Celtic fans will like to mention that they did have to have like a Phoenix club pretty much come up because they did. Rangers did go bankrupt, but that is a contentious, contentious topic that we do not have time to get into. So I'm just going to congratulate Rangers on their 55th title. And we also have more of a local news for us. We just want to mention it because we think it's cool. Minnesota United FC resign club legend, league legend, Osvaldo Alonso, a Cuban internet, well, not Cuban international <laughs> anymore. He's uh, since defected, but Cuban 
Ozzy Alonso has been a stalwart defender in the central midfield slot for both Seattle Sounders, Minnesota United. We're glad to have him back. I think there's actually a deal to have him stay on in a non-playing role once he retires. That's cool. Also signed Patrick Wea, 17-year-old homegrown player. If Wea sounds familiar, you'd be right. It's uh, the, the nephew of uh, George Wea and cousin of current U.S. men's national team player Timo Wea. That's Timo. cool. Timo. I, I, I call him Timo because okay. we're, we're buddies. Oh, okay. Yeah, Timothy Wea, whatever. Uh, and Toronto are playing in Orlando and Tampa for the first part of the MLS season due to COVID-19 restrictions in Canada. I believe Vancouver might be looking at Real Salt Lake and Montreal. I don't quite know. They might be in New York again. They might join Toronto down in Orlando and Tampa. I would love to spend the winter in Tampa, but uh, (laughs) Toronto will also be playing Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League later in March, March 20th, for the Canadian Championship. And this is really important because it's their domestic cup. And it also gives them one of those two teams a berth into the the CONCACAF Champions League. Some bit of controversy because Toronto have been able to train since late February. And Forge FC still have not been allowed to train in a group. Some controversy there. But, you know, whatever. Jack, do you have anything to say? If not, feel free to lead us into going Jack in time. Uh, I mean... No, I, the only thing I have to say is, you know, Liverpool, maybe you could hit, hit up Steven Gerrard. Seems like a pretty yeah. good manager. Uh, well, yeah. Clop out? Well, maybe. Clop out? Well, like, I'm kidding. And you know, <laughs> St- Steven Gerrard, like, I don't know. Uh, he, he, he could, he could join. He, he has the, he has the, he has the, the connections to Liverpool. But I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like if he jumped up into that high of a position, he might slip it up. Yeah. And with that, Jack, why don't you go to uh, going Jack in time? Yeah, so this story is pretty interesting one. Some of you might have heard about it before, and it comes from this book right here called The Miracle of Castel di Sangro by Joe McGinnis. Fantastic book. I'd highly recommend it. It follows a team called ASD Castel di Sangro as they made their debut in Serie B in Italy. So they they won promotion to Serie B in uh, overtime. Uh, sorry, not on overtime. In a shootout, the goalkeeper made an inc- a near impossible save, securing victory for a tiny club with only four thousand people in the city it plays in. And you know uh, they had to adapt a lot to compete in Serie B. They had to upgrade their stadium in accordance with Serie B regulations, but the construction didn't finish at the beginning of the season. They played their first several home matches in a nearby stadium, and even even then, the stadium was delayed months, and when it opened in December, they had to cancel their first game because of winter weather that made the pitch basically an ice skating rink, and their first fixture there had to be called off. And... Before I get too far into this, I, I should probably mention the relevance of this story, and it just shows the absolute peaks of soccer culture in Italy, but also the worst elements of it at the same time, some of which have mm-hmm. still are still present to this day. But uh, unfortunately, in this, in this season for uh, Castel di Sangro, after they were, they were forced to call this fixture off, they, uh, coming back from an away game, two of their players, their star players, honestly, Danilo Di Vincenzo and Pippi Biondi, 
died in a car crash when their car slid off the oh, road wow. in icy conditions, which took a real hit Jeez. to the morale of the team. And in addition to this, they didn't just lose those two, but a, a week after their passing, a play, one of their players, Gigi Prete, was arrested in connection with drug smuggling and oh, wow. was, uh, was forced out. So from this, it didn't look great. And, and the Serie B club, Castel di Sangro, was stuck in a relegation battle. It wasn't looking good for them. It looked like they were going down. They were bottom of the table halfway through. It looked like they were starting, they might have gotten some help. And there were a few instances of this. They were supposed to get help from Joe Addo of Frankfurt. And he, ca- he was the captain of the Ghana national football team who made it to the semifinals of the Olympics the year prior. However, uh, as a black player, he faced racism when he came, and the manager, mm. uh, Osvaldo Giacconi, refused to sign the contract, saying that Joe Addo didn't belong on their team, and Whack. instead sent him to the Eredivisie. And it looked like, after that, they were going to get another big signing, potentially. A Nigerian player from Leicester City, from the Premier League, named Robert Rakuponik, and mm. he, he generated a ton of press. But the match was a disaster, with Ponick showing no understanding of football and getting into a fight with his teammates. And it sounds bad, but at the end, it was just a publicity stunt. And he wasn't an actual player. He was a paid actor meant to generate revenue for the club. (laughs) But at the same time, they fired one of their players as part of the stunt before the game. So he thought he had been completely replaced. And then they revealed it was a joke. And it generated publicity, for sure, but all negatively. And, you know, throughout all of this, you would expect there's no way this team is going to stay up. There's too much going on. They've lost three of their players. They've had these disastrous things. But they made two important signings, a loan from Inter Milan, uh, from great forwards who who helped them by scoring in the last or second to last game to secure a 2-1 victory over one of the top teams in the league that kept them safe from relegation for the first season. An absolute miracle by a club that only represents a city of 4,000 people. However, this is where the low points start to come in. Because according to Joe McGinnis, the author of this book, the last match of the season was incredibly fixed against Castel di Sangro by their own count. They did this to themselves. What? So Bari, the, the, one of the top teams in the division, needed a victory to ensure that they would be promoted to Serie A. However, they negotiated with them that they would win by three goals and they would be given a penalty kick as a consolation for the win. And one, one player, tr- players tried to explain to Joe McGinnis, like, oh, this is just how the system works. This is how it all goes. And Joe McGinnis was having none of that, saying that it def- defeats the, the credibility of the sport. However, at the match the next day, we see that Bari wins the match 3-1 to one with Castel di Sangro's goal coming from a penalty. The match fixing huh. went through, and after this, the, the, en- the ending of this book is just incredible because... After this, the team is going to visit the graves of the players that had died in a car crash to honor them because they had stayed up. They had accomplished the mission. And Joe McGinnis, who was friends with all of these players by this point in time because he was writing about them over the course of the season, refused to go with them because 
of how much they disgraced the game. And it was right. it it's an incredibly interesting story because it shows the passion of these clubs from smaller areas that fight and give everything to stay up. But also it showcases the dark points of Italian uh, calcio, as they call it, uh, which just means football in, uh, in Italian and how match fixing is incredibly prevalent and it players see mm -hmm. it as part of the system in many instances. And, you know, we've seen this in several other instances with the clubs like Juventus in the early 2000s doing a similar thing yep. with match fixing, although the opposite way match fixing for them, not against themselves, but it just showcases the highs and lows of Italian calcio. And I think it's a really interesting story. If you want to, if you want to hear it in more detail, definitely check out the book, the miracle of Castel di Sangro by Joe McGuinness. It's an, it's one of my favorite books that I've read on the topic of soccer history. And I think you'd enjoy it as well. Nice. Well, thank you, Jack, for that. I, for one, am going to have to read that book eventually, perhaps later in the summer. I, I've heard a lot of great things about that book. That was, a, that was a great summary of it. And yeah, you know, Italian soccer has had a lot of controversy around it, despite it being one of the most beautiful, free-flowing styles of soccer. Or I won't say free-flowing, but you know what I mean. It's... It's a, it's a it's a story of ups and lows in that country, but yeah, I have nothing else to say to that. So let's jump back into the present as we go into the U.S. men's national team corner. Where we're talking about everything that's happening with the U.S. men's national team, both abroad and at home. Uh, usually we start with how players are doing. I want to talk about the Olympic qualifying roster right off the bat because the training camp for Olympic qualifying, which is happening later in the month, has been released. It's you know, admittedly, a lot of MLS guys, but some some surprises are Uli Yanez and Sebastian Soto, which hail from European clubs. And, you know, it's surprising that they'd be able to join. We had some people who were left out, maybe for uh, sporting reasons, for other reasons. We had Ao Akinola didn't even make the initial squad, I don't think, due to injury. We had Ibobasi of Portland Timbers not getting included for sporting reasons as well. We also had Miles Robinson, George Bellow, and Brooks Lennon not joining because Atlanta United won't release them because they won't be able to quarantine in time to come back for the Champions League game. They're whittling this list down to 20 people. Losing Robinson is a huge hit for our center back pool, but we do have the players to compete. We have Araujo, Ewell, Ferreira, Lewis, Glad, Tessman. There's a lot of experience. It's going to be an exciting two weeks down in Guadalajara. Let's qualify for the Olympics. We also had a game against Jamaica announced March 25th in Austria. It should be an exciting match. This is for the senior men's national team, by the way. And that will precede the Northern Ireland game on March 28th. It's going to be a good test for the European-based players. Now let's get into the players themselves. Weston McKenney gets signed permanently for Juventus for 18.5 million euros. He's been one of their best midfielders. There's going to be more to come out of Weston McKenney. It's a joy to watch him play. One of the best ball-winning midfielders in Syria. Great job to him. Daryl DK scores Barnsley's winner against QPR. It was a great header down at a tight angle. Great control by him. And again, for two in a row, he scored an absolute screamer against Birmingham City. Like, like from an impossible angle, supposedly. He's had three goals since coming over. Barnsley are on a seven-game winning streak, and they're in the playoff positions. 
if they make the playoffs, he's a big reason why they did. A lot of people criticize him for his technical ability, but seeing him play with Orlando and now Barnsley, I think he has what it takes. He's been a very decisive player, very, very good in tight spots, very, very good physically breaking away from defenders. Great job. Brandon Aronson in the Austrian Bundesliga scores and assists versus St. Poulton in their 4-1 win. His third for Salzburg, he also had an assist. He was deemed man of the match, and he's definitely worthy of that title. He's been absolutely lighting up Austria and has been one of the most exciting creative players in our pool. A lot more to come out of him. And he scored also earlier this week for Salzburg in the Austrian Cup. Like, he is going absolutely crazy. And a bonus out of this game is that Taylor Booth, another American, scored the only goal for St. Poulton in the game. So we had two Americans in one game. That's pretty interesting. I also had Chris Richards and John Brooks, Brooks duking it out in Hoffenheim versus Wolfsburg. Hoffenheim ended Wolfsburg's winning streak in their shutout and their shutout streak. And Richards led the team with the most interceptions, tackles, and blocked shots. Richards has had a breakout season with TSG Hoffenheim while he's on loan uh, from Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich are reportedly very happy with Richards's development so is he a possible replacement for Alaba maybe maybe Josh Sargent also scored against Köln for Bremen in their 1-1 tie that's his ninth goal or assist this year for Bremen his it was great headed goal down to the bottom left corner and his second in two games very exciting match very exciting stuff from him as he was the man of the match. We also had Tyler Adams who had an insanely good game against Wolfsburg in their Leipzig's 2-0 Pokal win. He had the most tackles in the game and he has just been solid. Unfortunately, John Brooks, also playing in that game, was not able to keep out Tyler Adams and the rest of RB Leipzig. We had Reggie Cannon assisting Boavista's 3-0 win over Famalisao in the Portugal Portuguese league. That's his first time being on the score sheet for Boa Vista, so it's great for him. And he's been very, very decent. And because of that, because of his play, Boa Vista is now out of the relegation zone. So hopefully he can help them keep up. And I also normally I'd I would mention every single American who scored or assisted, but there's just so many this week. It's been a very, very good week for Americans. So just four that also scored for their clubs. Luca Della Torre, Tyler Board, Jordan Siabachu, Cameron Carter-Vickers. A lot more that I'm not mentioning because there's just so much. That's great. But to end on a more somber note, even though we've been on a high this entire time, Pulisic did only play 20 minutes against Liverpool in Chelsea's win. He's going through a rough patch. Thomas Tuchel isn't selecting him, but I wouldn't panic just yet. We still have to see if he plays tomorrow against Everton. And Reyna didn't make the squad for... the. Uh, Dortmund's game against Bayern Munich because he supposedly had a knock. Hopefully that's not too serious. But with that, that's the end of the U.S. Men's National Team corner. We covered a lot, really went in depth with all the players doing great things, both at home and abroad. With that, let's go into last week's predictions where we talk about, recap all the big games that happened last week. I'll start off RB Leipzig versus Wolfsburg, but Jack, why don't you explain the scoring system for all the listeners at home? Yeah, so our scoring system, as always, is 10 points for getting the correct uh, result or the correct victor, and then 20 points for getting the exact right score line, and zero points, of course, for getting none of that right. Yes, and 
let's just say that Jack and I in the past couple weeks have not been doing too hot. Jack actually has been kind of on a hot streak recently. Uh, n- normally the guests kind of get one up on us, but last week Jack just straight up won and good for him. Uh, no, you didn't no, win. I did Casey not. won last yeah. week. Yeah. He, bl- he blew us both out of the water. Yeah, he blew us out of the water. So I, I guess the guests just always win and, and we, we, suck at, we suck at this. But maybe this week's different. Maybe one of us will get the win, get us on the right track. We'll start with RB Leipzig versus Wolfsburg in the DFB poke call. This could have been a very different game if Weghorst of Wolfsburg converted the first half penalty. Nakuku of RB Leipzig, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. I'm just going to go with it. Conceded the penalty in the first half with a pretty bad foul in the box. But Weghorst slipped and put the ball into orbit. Like that ball will meet up with NASA's perseverance on Mars. Like that's how badly he scuffed that poor guy. And Leipzig, to their credit, after that, had their foot on the gas pedal the entire time as they outshot, outpassed Wolfsburg, and even created more chances than them. They'd go on to win 2-0 thanks to goals from Poulsen and Huang Hee-chan. They've ended Wolfsburg's winning streak in all competitions, and RB Leipzig will face the winner of Jean Regensburg and Werder Bremen. And uh, I don't even know what league Jean Regensburg plays in, so it's probably going to be Werder Bremen. So hopefully we get to see Josh Sargent and Tyler Adams duke it out that's gonna be actually really exciting to see but jack and i unfortunately couldn't see the signs we couldn't see julian nagelsmann's genius when we predicted that wolfsburg's gonna win 1-0 we both said that and we all get zero points jack why don't you take it with one of your your near and dear teams as we look at liverpool and chelsea ah yeah so liverpool versus chelsea happened and we found out that Chelsea are, in fact, the best team in the world. Uh, just kidding, but feel, feel, oh, okay. it felt good to see the, the result. Anfield, of course, hasn't been the fortress it once was, but Chelsea still went there and played their dominating possession-based style that has produced excellent results for them so far. And Timo Werner had the ball in the back of the net at 32 minutes in, but apparently he is the unluckiest yes. man in the world. Yes. So his And his finger, in fact, was offside, which... In my opinion, I don't think that should be called for offside I because at yeah. the last time I checked, you can't score with a hand well, or a finger. Uh, but it, tell it to Maradona. That's well, all I guess that. if if you're Diego Maradona, maybe. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it was still locked at zero zero. However, our big name, big game player, future Chelsea legend, future <laughs> Chelsea captain, Mason Mount, latched onto a lawn. Fabregas-esque pass from N'Golo Kante and went around three Liverpool defenders to slot a curling shot right past Allison on 42 minutes, and Chelsea dominated this game throughout, restricting Liverpool to only one shot on goal, which came in the 85th minute. It was a header from outside the box, which Edouard Mendy gathered perfectly, and Chelsea are unstoppable, and the two-Chelsea era has officially mm. begun with this statement victory. 10 games played, 10 unbeaten, biggest team in London. Let's go. Biggest team in London. Biggest team in London. Okay. Who, who's uh, who's top okay. in out of the London? West Ham have a game in uh, hand. I think everyone's always forgetting that. We'll see. Whatever. We'll see. Whatever. But uh AJ guessed 2 to 1 for Liverpool. He backed Liverpool. Nah. You can't back him. Whatever. And I guessed and like I said, Chelsea win, it'll be by one goal to zero. And that's what I predicted, so I get 20 points. 20 points congratulations to that. That, that that was that was a good that was a good call and you know with that i will I, I will i'll dap my tears off with an amazing game that we both 
correctly predicted. That's Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. What a match. This is a match that, you know, was actually pretty cool. It was on ABC. It was on it was on network TV. Like it wasn't on uh it wasn't on ESPN Plus. It wasn't on ESPN. It was literally on ABC. Great for the game and what an exciting game that was. One of the more exciting classicers of recent memory. It was a lightning opening 10 minutes for Dortmund who saw the robot Holland convert two good goals. The first took a deflection, you know, admit it, it was, it was, it, it was all maybe on the defender as much as, you know, Holland. But the second one was a great Borussia Dortmund goal, which featured the likes of Thorgan Hazard, which is, is not a name that you really hear a lot when you talk about great goals he's or even player. Dortmund goals, player. considering that he's, he's only played. I know, I know you like him, but he's like, I, I think he's I think he's cool. He's he hasn't played too much for Dortmund, so it's strange to see that. However, two first half goals from Lewandowski's just completely wiped any any impact that Holland could have made. They ended up going two two going into the half, and right at the death, Goretzka and Lewandowski, who by the way completed his hat trick for three goals in the game, they scored to win the game four two for Bayern Munich. And Borussia Dortmund really, really threw it all away. And in the second half, you know, it was all Bayern. They conceded all of the, the, the momentum to Bayern Munich. Lewandowski has 31 goals in 24 matches. 23 matches, maybe, even. Maybe I even got that wrong. That's, that's, that's how good he is. They're super Bayern. And he is Superman. I guess 3-0. That's 10 points for me. Jack got really, really close. If only Dortmund, if only, if only Erling Holland wasn't an absolute robot, maybe he would have gotten it. He gets four one. He gets ten points as well. Jack, how about you take one of the most surprising results of the weekend: Manchester City versus Manchester well, United. I out of the two teams, I really wanted City to win because I don't like United. But uh, you know, Pep Guardiola, it just wasn't going to happen. I guess you went on such a good run, but. It's all it's all gone to pieces now. United lost at home mm-hmm. against Sheffield United, yet somehow mustered up a 2-0 victory against City at the Etihad. This is uh, Solskjaer's third league game against City at the Etihad, and he's won all three of them somehow. The, G- the PE teacher has yeah. done miracles for some reason. Uh, Jesus and Sterling were not up for it. Sterling failed to score against United for 23 games, and he had... He had so many chances to do it as well. Like he so he could have gotten on the end of I think when I was counting five or six crosses and missed them all. And uh Jesus hit, hit hit his entire body. He put his body on the line. Didn't go out well for him. City had 66% of the possession, outshot United 23 to 8, and had a better passing rate by 12%, and yet they couldn't muster up anything. Goal a rare goal from Luke Shaw. And a goal from the pen merchant himself, Bruno Fernandez, ended City's winning streak in a dramatic fashion. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the only manager to have won more games than Pep against Pep than lost, and that's pretty remarkable. I I wasn't very happy with this because I wanted Chelsea to catch up to them, but it doesn't look like it'll happen this weekend. Uh, but AJ guessed three one for zero points, and I guessed. Two to zero for zero points. Almost got it. Just reversed them. All right. So let's go on to another cr- 
cross-city rivalry. We have Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid in La Liga. Atletico Madrid have only managed to beat Real Madrid three times in the last six seasons. So what made you think they'd do it this weekend? Atleti had so many wasted chances that should have put them ahead more than they were. An early Suarez goal did actually put them up 1-0. But unfortunately, an 88th minute Benzema goal tied it up. Oblak, one of Jack's favorite players, made some insane saves and really kept them in it. Seven saves in all. Uh, Tim Howard at the 2014 World Cup level of performance. This result has huge, huge implications for the title race, as now Barcelona are two points ahead of third place Real Madrid and only three points behind league leaders Atletico Madrid. The Liga is coming to a suspenseful end, so who's going to win? Let's find out. But I can assure you that both sides are going to be ruining their chances because this could have been the icer that can gotten them into the race or made the gap too large for even Barca and Real to overcome. I, you know, I saw this coming. I, I saw how hard of a match that this was going to be for both teams. I predicted correctly a 1-1 draw for 20 points. Jack, Jack just did not believe in John Oblock enough. John Oblock is Jan. Jan. I don't even believe him in enough to you know say his name correctly, but whatever. But he didn't believe in Oblock because he had Real Madrid win one two with zero points. That puts us at Jack with thirty points and AJ with thirty points as well. We had our first tie between uh the two the two of us actually. So that puts Jack at three wins, four losses, and two ties. Me at two wins, six losses, and one tie. And our guests still have the better winning percentage. Two wins, one loss, one draw. Jack, how are you feeling about our tie this week? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll take it. We, yeah, sure. we both took some risks in it. And uh, we, for some reason, the one game that we thought would be safe uh, ended up not being safe. So, you know what? I'll, I'll take a draw. I will also take a draw. So now... Let's get into next week's predictions, where we talk about all the big games coming up, try to dissect what might happen, the trends that are going on going into those games. Jack, you know, we talk about Chelsea pretty much every week. Sleeds versus Chelsea, and actually, you know, pretty decent game. So why don't you run us through that? Yeah, well, I I included this one this week because this is perhaps Chelsea's biggest historical rivalry. It dates back to the 1970 FA Cup final, where the two most dominant sides of that past decade played out what might, what could be considered the most brutal bat match of soccer in English top flight history. A referee once said that they would have given out seven red cards and over 20 yellow cards in that match. Uh, the rivalry between these sides may have been, may, may have faded in recent years, but the flame still burns. And ultimately, what this comes down to for me is form because Leeds their form is one win and four losses in the past five Chelsea are on three wins and two draws including a win at Anfield you know Chelsea just look on form and Leeds aren't and you know Leeds are going to try and counter attack and and uh Chelsea are going to dominate possession I think and because of that I think Chelsea are going to win this although I'm not sure if they'll keep a clean sheet against this one because Leeds just seem like the type of of team that just takes a goal every now and yeah. then. I'm going to go for Leeds 1, Chelsea 2. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I'm 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 back. I'm back in the blues. I don't even know if that's if is that your guys' nickname. I mean, you might not want to say that. It, it, it might be a little bit more political than what your thir- first thought was. But all right. Well, I sure I, I, you <laughs> can keep the blue flag flying high. Yeah, I, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, <laughs> uh, leads are all attack. Uh, they have the seventh highest expected goals in the league. And the third highest expected goals against. Like, this is such a one-sided team, it's insane. And Chelsea have conceded once in the past seven games. Need I say more? Like, I, if it's, if it's one team that can keep a clean sheet against Leeds, it's Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, in my opinion. I'm backing Chelsea to win 2-0 to zero in a way win against Leeds. Jack, am, am I crazy or am I am I speaking facts right now? I mean, now? I agree with you. I, I predicted Chelsea would win, so I, I I think that I think they could keep a clean sheet. I just think because Patrick Bamford, the last time uh, he we played against Leeds, he scored within five minutes against us, and that just seems like a very okay. Chelsea thing to happen. Uh, having the opposition score within five minutes, then having to come back. Well, I have Bamford on my FPL team, so I'll, I'll actually enjoy that. <laughs> also enjoy West Ham United proving that they're the best United in the league in Manchester United versus West Ham, also in the Premier League. And the way that I see it, I wish I could back the boys. I really do. I really do. You know, West Ham will surely be looking for revenge after an unfortunate FA Cup exit to Manchester United. They head to Old Trafford, where United's record has not been at its best. But will West Ham be able to continue their season of upsets? I wish I could say that they will. But United just beat City. They've had our number this entire season. They just, for some reason, even though we have competed against Manchester United on the field, like we've been pretty equal, they've just been able to get the best of us. United haven't conceded in four games. And they played City, Chelsea, and Real Sociedad. That, that's, that's pretty good. West Ham, you know, they have had a lot of upsets, but their form has still been up and down. They're, they're, they're still the best club in London, but is that enough to walk into Old Trafford and get three points? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a 1-1 one, one draw, which I will take. I will take. Jack, are you with me, or are you backing one of these sides to win? I'm close to with you because, you know, both of these teams have similar records, you know. Manchester United are two wins and three draws. West Ham are three wins, one draw, one loss. They're they're pretty similar, but I ultimately think that this is going to be a 0-0 draw. Okay. Uh, West Ham's defense is decent. Like uh I I I do like I do rate a lot of the players that that uh West Ham have. Virgil van Dossen? Yeah. Yep, Virgil van Dossen, <laughs> uh Vladimir Sufal, um Aaron Cresswell. I think they're all very good. Uh, and I think United, you know, they played out before this last win, three zero zero draws in a row. And yeah. I, I honestly think that at home, their form is just bad. It's not great, uh, at, to say the very least. And because of that, I think that this is going to play out to a zero zero. Uh, I don't see either of these sides really scoring. Suchek hasn't really been firing lately. Uh, and I honestly, since I have Crushwell in my uh, FPL team, I'll take a zero zero. Well, I have Link Gardino in my FPL team circa this week, so I will take a goal from him. But let's go on to perhaps a, another goal fest. That's Werder Bremen versus Bayern Munich. Jack, 
walk us through what might be perhaps an upset? I don't know. Yeah, well, this game has some history behind it. It's called the North-South Classic because it takes place with two traditional rivals where these two sides have had the most seasons in the Bundesliga. Uh, and wow. they've also, between them, been the two most successful clubs in the Bundesliga, which you might not know given that one of them has been so dominant and the other one just barely avoided relegation last season on away goals. So yeah. uh, it's it's... It seems like it would be very one-sided, and honestly, I think it will be. The form of Werder Bremen is one win, three draws, and one loss. They do okay, but they're, they, they're just not doing enough to be giant killers. They And Bayern are three wins, one draw, and one loss. And, you know, I just can't see Bremen holding their own against Bayern after such a big win against, uh, against their... Uh, rivals in Dortmund. So I'm going to go with Bremen one with a Josh Sargent goal and oh, yeah. uh, Bayern three. I'm going to go three, maybe pro- probably a Lewandowski goal. Probably, probably. You know, you mentioned him. If Sargent continues to find form, anything is possible. He's a really good player. But Bayern Munich have a grit to them, a perseverance in their soul. They've outscored their already league high XG. That's expected goals by 18 they've scored 18 more goals than what they have been expected to do that's clinical finishing and from the eye test that's not overperformance. that's just them being really really good they're just efficient like robots and the last time that bremen beat bayern munich was in 2008 yeah and i think that trend continues i think i don't think josh Sargent can can break past bayern munich's defense i think they just have a lot going for them, especially when you play against relative minnows of, you know, based in recent years, you know, Bremen are minnows. I think that trend continues. Zero to three is how Bayern is going to win. And with that, let's go to another, maybe more important, maybe more even side, uh, even match, I suppose. Monaco versus Lille in League A. And Jack, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand this to you first of all because, you know, I, I know how much you're into France or whatever. I know you like Monaco. Walk us through who's going to win this very important Ligue 1 matchup. Yeah, well, this is fourth versus first, and it has big implications for the Ligue on title race. Lille need to keep winning to keep that two-point gap between themselves and PSG in place, whereas Monaco need the win to keep challenging for the UCL spots. They had a bit of a stumble this past weekend, uh, losing yeah. 1-0 against Strasbourg with a late winner by that side, taking down Monaco, whereas Lille beat Nantes 2-0. Uh, honestly, both of these teams are on decent form. Monaco are three wins, one draw, and one loss, and Lille is three wins and two draws. And what this comes down to, to me, is we're looking at one of the best attacks in the league in Monaco and one of the worst defenses, conversely, uh, with Monaco as well, and then huh. one of the best defenses in Lille, but maybe not the best attack uh, in, in the top 10 at least. So what, what I'm seeing is a goal fest, and I know every time I say that it ends up to be a 0-0 zero, zero right. draw. I think it might happen, but I'm going to go for... I think Monaco just have the fight in them right now. I, I really think they do. They want this really badly they want to get back to the european stages where they were very successful a couple of years mm-hmm. ago 
And I'm going to go that I'm going to say that Monaco's attack is better than Lille's defense. And, be, you know, they have Kevin Volland. Uh, they have Vissam Ben Yedder, uh, Alexander Golovin. Uh, they have they have these incredible players up front for them at their disposal. And I think that it's going to be Monaco three to Lille two. So just barely getting the win. I'm not sure if Lille will be able to hold on to that lead, but I, I think Monaco could do it. Wow, that is almost completely opposite of how I went. You know, Lille, if I'm being honest, just don't look convincing. I, I can't really describe it. But whenever I fe- watch highlights or see games, they win by the seat of their pants. Like, they just skate by. It, it takes either them playing a weaker opponent or individual moments of brilliance out of the attack in order for them to win. We saw that with, with Timo Weah. Uh, against Ajax we saw that with Jonathan David when he scored literally two 90 minute goals in order to get them to win in uh, one of their recent games like it, it, it's not exactly convincing and they've done well they've done well admittedly but I predicted PSG to win Liga for a reason Lille are outscoring their expected points by nine points and that coupled with them not looking convincing to me really tells me that them outscoring their expected points is overachievement and it's not a new norm they just don't pass the eye test for me and i think they're on a high and eventually they're going to regress back down to a mean to the mean and this is a huge match out of them they both sides know this and monaco have had really good players and they're at home and you know when you couple overperformance and a big game and monaco you know playing well and having the right ingredients. I see this as Monaco 1 versus Lille 0. I just don't think Lille has the, the attack to muster something up. So, you know, take that as what, what you will. But, you know, let's move on to Dortmund versus Sevilla, our only European game in the Champions League. Dortmund are leading 3-2 from the leg in Sevilla, but their form has been crumbling as of late. Sevilla, on the other hand, have done fairly well in La Liga. So who will be able to take this leg and advance to the quarterfinals very quickly? I have literally nothing to say about this because I think this is just done and dusted. Dortmund have what it takes. Holland and if Sancho comes back, they're, they're very good players. That's going to be huge. The ball is in their court, like firmly in their court. Sevilla are down bad. They're one of the down bad teams. They've lost four of their last five. Dortmund, before Bayern, their, their Bayern game, had won their last four. I believe Dortmund hold on. It's not going to be an insane goal fest like last time. It's, it's not going to be without some troubles. They're going to win two to one. Jack, are you on the Sevilla train or are you backing the boys in yellow? No, I, I'm, I'm going with Sevilla. I really am. Uh, Whoa. I, honestly, I, Sevilla haven't been great as of recently. But I think that they're doing better than Dortmund because Dortmund, just just to go over this, they could be without Erling Holland, Jaden Sancho, Gio Reyna, Emre Chan, and Rafael Guerrero. Okay. Which are massive first team players, especially without Sancho, Reyna, and Holland. Like that those are those would be massive losses. And Sevilla, you know, they've been they've they're solid enough. They have good attackers. They have good defenders. They're just in a bit of rough form. But I think that this game could be one that kicks them into a higher gear 
And I'm going to go with Dortmund 1 to Sevilla 2. I ultimately think Dortmund are going to go through okay. on away goals. Okay. But I, I think Sevilla can pull off an upset. I, I think I'd class this as an upset at least in, uh, in Dortmund. Okay. Okay. Well, as for the, the predictions, Jack, how are you feeling about those? Do you think you had some hot takes or are you confident? I took some risks here and there, I, I, but it usually the last time I took risks, it paid off really well because I guessed Atalanta would beat Milan when you were like, no way, but paid off and I won that week. So we'll right. see. We'll see. Maybe it'll all happen right. again. Well, that is all for our predictions. We are going to have a guest for sure next week who is going to join us. So this is our last chance to get a W in <laughs> predictions until they come. So then that's also us for the podcast episode. That it will be all from us. Jack, do you have anything to say to our listeners who are listening so far? Yes. Well, you know, I plugged it at the beginning of the episode. I'm going to do it again. Follow the Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We're... Not, we haven't been posting as much as of late because, as AJ said earlier, we're both in midterm season Yikes. and uh, doing all that good stuff, all that fun stuff. And uh, But hopefully we'll be back on there interacting even more sooner rather than later. And, uh, you know, uh, just follow us on there to get more of these hot takes that we make all the time on the show. Yep. And as always, follow us wherever you're listening to us, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon, or Apple Podcasts. And if it is Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us a, a five-star review on that. It helps so much. Also, if you give us a, a ring that notification bell so you get notified whenever we drop an episode, that also helps. But what helps the most is if you tell someone directly, a friend, your dad even, to listen to the show, uh, give us a chance, especially if they like soccer. Uh, I think that would be great for our growth, and we really appreciate it. When you do all of those things, and we will see you on Thursday for one of our deep dive episodes. This is an insane run on sentence, but I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> we'll see you on Thursday for the deep dive episode and same time, same place for another news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>